Welcome to the Total Wealth Academy radio show, where wealth includes much more than just money. It includes family, fitness, romance, and all the other parts of a balanced life. Listen and learn how 70% of the millionaires in America made their money using real estate. Now your host, real estate investor and consultant, Steve Davis. Happy Wednesday, everybody. This is Trevor Davis, Total Wealth Academy's lead wealth coach. Hope y'all are having a great week. We are going to be doing our biannual expo on October 1st. That is our Caribbean Fest. So in case y'all are not signed up for that already, head to TotalWealthAcademy.com forward slash expo, and you can sign up for that. That is for all members, and that is for guests as well. You're not required to be a member with us. It's going to be a lot of fun because I'm going to be having a bunch of my beer I'm brewing a play on a Jamaican ale called 1655, so if you want to try some of my home-brewed beer, that will be available at the Caribbean Fest. I'm brewing a total of 20 gallons for this event, three of which are going to be that Jamaican ale, one of which will be an IPA, and of course, if you want to have other things, we do have some other options for you if you want to drink some wine, and we will have Caribbean food. The thing I want to start off with, of course, is with every show, the quote from Einstein, which is a measure of intelligence is the ability to change. And as I've emphasized over the last two shows, and I want to reemphasize today, we're not talking about changing every solitary thing. We're talking about changing the things that do not work. If you're looking at the results that you have, you have to approach things in a new, sometimes completely new completely unique way to start affecting the differences that you want. If something is not working, if you're not in the financial position that you want to be in, it's not going to be any more reasonable to do the same things over and over again than if you're doing something more mundane, like, I don't know, trying to open a pickle jar. If you're trying to open it with your hand, it doesn't keep working. You just keep trying and trying and trying with your hand and it keeps not working. Your spouse or significant other comes up and says, hey, why don't you use this rubberized gripper and maybe that'll make the difference. And instead of grabbing it and using it, you decide to keep using your hand by itself and you still can't open the pickle jar. Long story short, you're not going to get the pickles. It's not going to work unless you do something different or maybe run it under hot water or something. That type of example is just Mundane, very simple, but sometimes those examples are the best to think about when it comes to those quick moments when we're deciding whether or not we should do something different or not. Do we want to sit there struggling with a very simple task in the grand scheme of things, or do we want to do something different, try a different technique, Try something else, even if it's entirely experimental sometimes and you have no idea what you're doing or if it's even going to work. Sometimes you have to take that plunge and do something a little bit different. Now, specifically, as we all know, as we emphasize on the show all the time, 95% of Americans fail to retire. I repeat, 95% of Americans fail to retire. So only one out of 20 Americans is effectively retiring on their own income, and they're not reliant on the government, 
they're not reliant on their families and becoming a burden on their families. The, I mean, it's not so much shocking that it's it's such a small proportion of people on its own. It's actually really shocking because this is happening in our country. It's happening in the United States of America. Whenever I think about how this country started, what it was founded for, not perfect, but definitely the best that's ever been founded in the world so far, by far, we're looking at something that was supposed to create wealth for as many Americans as possible. It's never going to be 100%, but it should definitely be more than 5%. That's... There's something very, very wrong in in the way that we're educating Americans, we're educating each other, the way we're supporting each other, the way we're communicating with each other on the successes that we have, that it just doesn't get the best results for the vast majority of people. The 19 out of that 20 who are going to end up as dependents in retirement. And again, that's dependent on the government or that's dependent on the family to become a burden on the family. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense that we are the richest, most prosperous country in the world, and that's the financial position that most of us are facing. Something is very, very wrong here. And... The more and more you look at things, the less and less it becomes something like the tinfoil hat conspirators say, the more it becomes, this is human nature, this is actually that survival brain taking over and not letting the thriving mind do what it wants to do. But we have to be educated properly to get that mode activated, because otherwise we're going to be stuck in survival brain mode. And I think that's the main reason why most people are stuck in that type of life. So when we're telling our children from pre-K, kindergarten, first grade to fifth grade, junior high and high school, that you have to follow the map that we always criticize, which is get a high-paying job, not necessarily a job you're even passionate about, because you went to a college that had the degree program for that specific job. It may not have even been a college you wanted to go to. It may not have been in an area you particularly enjoyed, and maybe it was radically more expensive than you felt comfortable with financially, but you did this because this is what everybody told you to do. And yes, to be, a, to be the millennial... We have seen that this advice has been given to us by people who had an experience that was a little bit different. If going to college worked sometime earlier for everybody, it doesn't work so much now. When people are going to school to get $50,000, $100,000, $150,000 or more into student debt before they've even had any income whatsoever... That's shooting Americans in the foot because that's going to make it so much more difficult 
to get into something like the real estate investments, the personal residence. I mean, thank goodness it's not the biggest hindrance by any means, but it still has to be paid off sooner or later. And in my opinion, if we're looking at the payout, I mean, shucks, I would hope to pay off that student debt within three or four years and not any longer, but I've heard of people with student debt into their 40s and 50s. So we really have to be very cautious with our strategy and approach financial independence from the get-go by teaching our kids the best strategies. We will be back in just a moment, folks. Stay tuned to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. There's an old joke. When is the best time to buy real estate? 20 years ago. When is the second best time? Today. And that is truer than ever with the impending recession and the correction that is going on right now. Real estate investors are going to make millions of dollars over the next few years because of the recession. You should take advantage of it as well. To find out how, attend our free sample class at TotalWealthAcademy.com. TotalWealthAcademy.com. Just click on the free sample class button. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody, to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. If y'all are feeling like chatting today, you can give us a call, 281-558-5738, or you can send me an email, trevor at totalwealthacademy.com. If you want to get a free copy of The Richest Man in Babylon, as always, you can send that email to me, trevor at totalwealthacademy.com. Just put in the subject line, book, radio show, something to that effect. And I will send you over the free PDF of The Richest Man in Babylon for you to read. And that's a 30-minute to an hour read. And that is just the foundations of wealth that everybody has to follow if you want to be a wealthy individual. We're talking about not becoming dependent on your family or the government. And the 95% of Americans that fail to retire are going through that. They're they are having to get their expenses from their families or they're just relying on the government. And hopefully they've had some savings. To give most of these people credit, the median savings is right around $172,000. And for those of us listening to the radio show now, just at six months ago, I, I went into some detail about this. So if that rings a bell... We are going to be reviewing this again. Now, I was reading an article in the Katy Rancher that talked about retirement in Katy. This is where I live. This is where I grew up. I love Katy. It's a great place. I just thought that this article was so funny because it talked about how Katy was one of the top five places to retire in the country, according to the survey that they provided. And... They were saying that with the amount of money that a retiree makes with Social Security, savings, and, I quote, part-time employment, they can live the most comfortably, one of the most comfortably they can of any place in the entire United States. I'm not sure whose definition of retirement in this traditional sense includes part-time employment. But that was the significant caveat with this assessment. To live comfortably, you're still going to have to work. 
That's not what most people are planning for on this normal map, though. With this map that we've already identified as not going to work, there's still the expectation, though, that you get to retire and just kick it and chill for 15, 20, 25 years, however long you end up living into retirement. Which, to me, is already kind of a questionable outlook because, I mean, we already know that we're not here forever, but to basically forego all of this enjoyment, all of this entertainment, all of this pleasure for the end of life, that doesn't that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That's not the way I'm looking at my time here. I mean, I want to have as much enjoyment as I can at all times. And going through some of the crap that I've gone through, yeah, there's been some extremely stressful times. I mean, everybody I've ever talked to has gone through things that they wouldn't wish upon their worst enemy. And maybe sometimes there's just a lot of stuff that's not quite that bad. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows all the time. But that's not the stuff I enjoy. The stuff I enjoy is brewing beer, hanging out with my girlfriend, hanging out with my family, friends, playing guitar, reading, writing, playing video games. That's the stuff that I enjoy. And everybody has the things that they enjoy. And to try and make it to where we have to normally work 40, 50 hours a week and barely have time for doing all of this stuff. And we don't even need to get into the raising kids side of things because that needs to be a significant time commitment as well. I mean, we're trying to offload all of this work now so we can do all the fun stuff later. 26% of people are dead by age 65 and 70. So that's over a one out of four chance that, unfortunately, you won't make it to that point. I mean, I beat up on, I guess I'm a, I beat up on cars at this point. I think we've talked about this a couple times. I'm very skeptical of the transportation issue that we've had because it's very, very unsafe. But driving home from work yesterday, there was an accident on I-10. Took up five lanes. There were only two lanes on the left that we could pass through. It took me twice as long to get home yesterday. Today, driving to work. Another accident. One whole lane blocked off. They had to haul this car off of the freeway. It's just, there's so much risk out there that we have to make sure that we're planning accordingly, not just for the future, but also for enjoyment and peace now. We can't just defer all of this enjoyment to some later time because it might not come as brutal as that is to say. We might not get to that point. I don't know if I'm going to live to that point because I don't know if there's going to be an accident that will claim my life or something, anything could happen. That's just the way it is. So with that reality, that's the way that I proactively approach enjoyment now. And everybody should approach it. You cannot go along this map just saying that all of this enjoyment or the vast majority will be at the end. Maybe it's still cool if it ends up being that way, 
if your life keeps getting better and better and better, and then the end ends up being the best, I mean, that's that's a plus in my opinion, but that should not be the plan to put all of it at the end. When we're looking at the financial situation of somebody in retirement, through this article, I did those calculations, and the 172000 median savings is, of course, what most people have because that's the median. So that's the most common amount people are retiring on is right at 172000 If we did the mean, which would be the raw average, you would have something much, much higher because you're going to account for the millionaires and billionaires in there, and that's not going to be close to what's the real thing most people retire on, which is 172000 So the income becomes that savings extraction, which is limited, by the way. Your savings is going to go away if you spend it all. Well, yeah, of course, but... If we end up living longer than we expected, it's going to run out too. That's that other issue I have with trying to act like we're not only going to defer all of this pleasure to the end, but we want to make sure that that amount of retirement is not too long, that we literally die before we run out of money. That that just doesn't sit well with me whatsoever. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, that this is the mainstream strategy. I mean, this isn't even just a obscure strategy that some people follow. This is the mainstream American strategy that people are using for their financial future. This is the normal thing that most of the people you talk to and drive by are following. And maybe they're not fully aware of it and fully conscious of it and looking at it completely objectively and maybe they're just going with the flow and all that. But I would definitely take the assumption that if you're listening to this radio show, you give a crap. You give at least enough of a crap to tune in and make yourself that different than the people that are not going to reach out for knowledge, that are not going to reach out for different strategies, and reach out for change. So that's something you can definitely give yourself credit for. So since you give a crap, you're going to have to make some different changes. Sometimes that just means saving more money, controlling expenses, getting to a point where you can get into the first real estate deal. You know, wholesaling is an option, but wholesaling is hustle work, hustling a long time, every single week. I don't play around with the idea that wholesaling is this easy thing, like they say on YouTube and HGTV. Wholesaling is hard work. It takes a lot of time and effort to get a wholesale deal done. Now, with the 172000 you add the Social Security on top of it. We have a life expectancy in the United States of right around 79 years for a male. It's about 82 for women. Women live longer than men everywhere in the world. Sometimes it's just three years. Sometimes it's like six or seven. It's a significant difference everywhere. Women live longer than men. So everyone listening to this, if you are a woman, 
you have to be more financially prepared for the future because you're going to live longer than us. You're going to live three or four years longer than me on average. So female Americans have to be more financially savvy, more financially responsible than the men because y'all are going to live longer. When we're looking at the average average, it's that 70. That's actually the 79 right there. The average for men is a little bit lower. So 79 is the average life expectancy for men and women in America. But the funny thing is, is that technically as you get older, your chance of living to an older age increases, statistically speaking. So if somebody ends up retiring at age 62, they're most likely to live to the age of 84. So what are we going to look at income-wise with somebody who's actually going to retire at the normal-ish retirement age and ends up living realistically to an age of 84? We'll take a look at the details of that once we get back to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. The stock market was never designed to build wealth. It was designed to keep up with inflation. The average rate of return over the last 75 years is about 7%. You'll get that even with the ups and downs. If you want a higher rate of return and less volatility, consider real estate. We make about three times as much as the stock market. Please attend our free sample class to learn more. Go to TotalWealthAcademy.com. That is TotalWealthAcademy.com for reservations. Thank you. Welcome back, y'all, to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. Thank y'all for tuning in today. Let's continue with the quote-unquote average retirement. For everything that's been on this map so far, we don't need to really think about it a lot today. We don't really need to think about the high school where you want to get the best grades possible. You want to get into that best college with the degree so you get the job with as many zeros behind it as you can, with the retirement plan, the 401k, this, that, and the other. And let's identify here, too, that when we say that $172,000 has been saved for most Americans, this is inclusive of the 401ks and the IRAs. That includes all of that. All of the Stock market, jibber-jabber, ups and downs, leads the average American to have the median savings of 172000 So that's already included in this. Living to the age of 84, for example, retiring at age 62, and you're, you're going to have a pretty lengthy retirement there. I mean, that's, that's a good 22 years. And... If you've got that, you take that money out with the Social Security a month, which will be about 1657 per month. Combine that with the savings, you get 651 per month from the savings. So you're retiring on a grand total of $2,308 
a month. So for those of us keeping score at home, that's less than $30,000 a year for retirement. And I'm not saying that that's abysmal. I'm not saying that's atrocious or anything, but I don't think when we envision retirement that we're going to have to do it with less than $3,000 a month, less than $30,000 a year. How are we going to go to all of the places that we want to go to? If you're a traveler like me, if you love to travel, or how are you going to do all of the hobbies that you love? How are you going to travel to your family if they live far away? And I understand that there's there's a lot of people maybe that are perfectly content with this. It's not really to say that everybody has to have this ultra sort of luxurious reality TV Kardashian lifestyle in retirement, but I don't think most of us were wanting to work towards this as the goal. You know, if we worked 40, 50 hours a week for 40, 50 years, and this is our payout, I don't think most people would be happy with that. I don't think most people are going to be ecstatic to get to a retirement with this plan when this is all that it gets. You know, if the golden years are supposed to be the golden years, I mean, how come we're looking at it as the bronze years? We shouldn't be having to do all of this hard work, work our butts off for just $2,308 a month. I don't find that to be enough. I, I don't, and I don't know anybody that I've met that would say that that's what they want in retirement. I, I don't think most people want it now is the thing. I don't, I don't think most people want to live off of less than $30,000 a year now So if that's the case, why in the world would their attitude completely shift in retirement? Why would somebody wake up one day when they're 65 and be like, you know what? After working my butt off my entire life and earning a high income, now I want to earn half that or less. That's not how we think. That's not how anybody thinks. So if you don't want to live on that income now, you're definitely not going to want to live on it when you're age 65, 70. Let's account for something that's going to happen when you get older. You get older. Everybody is getting older. doesn't matter how young I look, you look. Everybody is getting older. We're not going to be able to be as healthy as we age. So we haven't even accounted for the medical bills that come through with this. And of course, depending on income, you'd have some government-sponsored programs like Medicare and Medicaid. But there we go again. That's to be reliant upon the government in retirement. That's why those Americans we consider to have failed to retire, because they have to be dependent on government handouts. That's what most people are retiring on. And we talk about the government handout... Line, well, 
everybody's got to get older. Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Independents. I don't think at the end of the day, no matter what their politics are, they want to be reliant on government handouts. I don't think anybody ever wants to do that. So why in the world, same point, would you all of a sudden be okay with relying on government handouts whenever you're old? That, that just doesn't work for most people. That's not going to get you the highest quality of care. It's just going to be something that makes you dependent on somebody else. So the idea here is for you to use the income that you have, whatever it is, save up enough to where you can start investing in passive or semi-passive deals. Something that genuinely makes you money like a real estate investment. Because you can manage a portfolio of single-family houses on your own. The amount of work that it takes is literally an hour or two a week. And that's remote work. The weeks that you have to get the unit leased, the house leased, you do an hour to two-hour window public showing where you have the people that called come out. You take the applications, deposits, and fees there, and there you go. It's a couple of hours a week for a portfolio of 10 to about 30. And then once you start getting past that, you know, it does get a little more time. But we're literally talking about, at most, five hours a week. If you account for the accounting that you have to do, I mean... Literally, managing a portfolio of single-family properties is not time-consuming whatsoever. It's nowhere near as time-consuming as 40 hours a week because you're not going to get anywhere near that amount on a consistent basis. There might be some weeks where, again, you maybe you do more than one showing, where it gets a, to be closer to 10 hours a week, but never, ever, ever anything close to 40, ever. I mean, the most I've had to work with the single-family houses was probably right at eight hours. The average was literally 30 minutes to an hour a week. So if you've got the time concern, that's something that Steve was stuck on whenever he first started in real estate. I mean, rest assured that as somebody myself, I don't consider myself an exceptional manager I consider myself to be a decent average manager. That's about the time commitment. 30 minutes, an hour a week. The best, some weeks there were no calls. Some weeks there was literally nothing to do. So not a significant amount of time. With those assets, with the 300-ish cash flow that you get, that's just the cash flow. We're not adding up the other three things. That's something that doesn't go away if you end up living past that age of 84. You make it to retirement, that's the expected age. That's not a savings account that goes down every month. This is something that consistently produces income. You have to make sure that you're saving up the money, as it talks about in The Richest Man in Babylon, to get you to a point where if you can invest in properties now, you can invest in properties later. So let's talk about a comparison for a second because as I've emphasized for the last two months, I'm going to give the stock market update. 
If you've been following the news, you probably saw yesterday that we had the biggest drop in the stock market in over two years. Since June of 2020, right smack in the middle of the peak of COVID, we had a large stock market downturn. That's what we're looking at as we continue this downward spiral. So for those of us in stocks right now, those of us with 401ks and IRAs, we're getting very, very uncomfortable. We're getting very, very nervous as our stock values, our retirement accounts, where we put our hard-earned money into, are declining with no control fault of our own. We have no control over what the stock market is doing. We can do nothing more than watch as it goes down. However, the good news is, as we have really made it clear for the last couple of meetings up here at Total Wealth, a lot of people think that they cannot take their money out of the 401ks and IRAs during these downturns or ever. That is not true at all. If you have a 401k or IRA, there are effective ways to transition that money into real estate investments. You can't take all of it out, but you can take a significant portion of it out to weather the storms of the down markets. Make sure that you're getting yourself educated as this down market continues to approach so your stock portfolios are not going to bite the bullet and screw up your financial position. We'll be right back, folks. Stay tuned to the Total Wealth Academy radio show with your host, Trevor Davis. There's an old joke. When is the best time to buy real estate? 20 years ago. When is the second best time? Today. And that is truer than ever with the impending recession and the correction that is going on right now. Real estate investors are going to make millions of dollars over the next few years because of the recession. You should take advantage of it as well. To find out how, attend our free sample class at TotalWealthAcademy.com. TotalWealthAcademy.com. Just click on the free sample class button. Thank you. All right, everybody, welcome back to our final segment of today's show. We just got over some of these stock market woes, um, but not quite completely because I've, I've got a little bit more for you. I, I wanted to get into specifically the numbers as I've been doing every week because the stock market has continued to go down. The Dow Jones is now at the highest loss percentage since the year started that I've seen. It's at negative 14.4%. The S&P and NASDAQ are still very much in the red. They slightly went up by like a tenth of a point from last week's losses. So S&P is at negative 16.57 for the year and NASDAQ is at negative 26.26 for the year. When last week was at negative 26.4. So keep in mind that these stock people are not making money unless they're doing shorts. And the shorts are very risky because if it ends up going in the opposite direction, your loss can be unlimited. It's definitely more risky than doing the traditional buy and hold strategy in the stock market which is what the vast majority of people are doing. 
but worse, people are simply holding and riding through the ups and downs when they should be leveraging some of that retirement account resources into something like real estate, something that they can control, something that's more tangible, that works better during the down markets. Now, during the Saturday class, Steve emphasizes during a large section of the class how you can use your 401k and IRA effectively for real estate. And spoiler alert, but there's actually quite a few hoops you have to jump through. It is 100% possible, but when you put your money into these retirement accounts, you better bet that they're going to make it as difficult as possible for you to access that money. That's kind of messed up, in my opinion. It's supposed to be working for you. It's supposed to be yours. And yet, this whole design means that you don't get to take it out at will. You don't get to take it out when you can see that there's about to be a massive stock market crash. And I understand some of the reasons why. Because if you have everybody pull out their money all at once, you'd have something like the Black Tuesday of 1929 when you had the biggest stock market crash in American history because they saw the loss of confidence. You had the bank runs. People tried to get all their money out very quickly. It made the disaster go from a disaster to complete and total chaos. So I understand some of that. And I get it, but I can't really support the idea of putting your money into something like that. And that's the biggest reason to me. I want to have the control of my own money so I can make it do what I want it to do when I want it to do stuff. I don't want to have to jump through all these hoops just to take my money out. And I don't want to be penalized 20, 25, 30% just for doing so. That sucks. Who's really in control of this money? It's definitely not me if I have the account. I mean, I I don't know anybody so far that's actually met the manager and steward of their accounts. They have, you know, a number to Fidelity or whoever that actually is in control of the account, and they get to talk to some people, financial advisors, the people that are putting these plans together and doing their best to create a winning stock market combination. But they're still going to be subjected to the ups and downs of the stock market. Even these professionals who are supposed to be the best of the best are not going to be able to determine whether it's going to go up or down, ever, because that's the insider trading. There's a whole nother legal set of rules that make sense, but are very, very different for the real estate. Because as I like to say, insider trading is the normal practice in real estate. Because when you look at a piece of real estate, you're going to determine its value with the most recent comps. If you look at a single-family house, you look at that value in terms of what is the house down the street worth that's the exact same floor plan with the exact same modernized design that I'm going to go for when I fix it. Okay, it sold for $350,000. 
that's probably what I can sell it. Maybe a little more since it's a little bit later. So if I'm buying it for a good enough price with the rehab that I need, that it makes me money and it will cash flow in that neighborhood if I decide to rent it, that's something that's going to work. You can't do a whole lot of stuff like that in stocks. You can't have insider knowledge to know if they're going to be releasing some awesome thing that's almost guaranteed to raise their stock value. And people try their best to look at the news for stuff like that, but that's all very risky. Because what if that product that gets released, people hate? And it causes their stock value to tank. And you decided to buy a 1,000 shares of that company. Well, you just lost a bunch of money. You don't know what was really going to happen, even with a bit of news like that. It's very, very risky. And of course, real estate is not perfect either, but the expectations are much more easy to manage with that kind of information. Rent rates as well. You look at what the house next door rents for with the same square footage and bedrooms. Okay, it's going to rent for $2,000 a month. My total expenses in this house will be right around $1,500 a month. Then I'm cash flowing $500, probably cash flowing right at the $300 once you count for maintenance and vacancy. Write exactly what you need. Make sure that you can analyze these properties first. That is one of the main things that I train people on here at Total Wealth Academy is how to correctly analyze a deal. That is one of the make or breaks of a real estate investor. Besides finding the deal, you have to analyze the deal. Because if you know that, let's say it's a $350,000 house, and they're asking $300,000 for it. Okay, cool. It's $50,000 less than the ARV. I should buy it. Well, it needs $60,000 in rehab. So that already eats up the cost of the ARV by $10,000. Then you have closing costs on the loan you have to account for. You have the hard money costs that you have to pay during the rehab period. You've got your utilities. You've got the other expenses to account for as well. So that project is already putting you in the red. You have to look at that property with all expenses accounted for, with getting a general contractor out there to determine, look, if it needs $60,000 in rehab and y'all are asking $300,000, you're not going to get that from anybody reasonable. You're not going to get that from anybody who's a competent real estate investor. You're looking for a sucker right now who's just going to be convinced that it barely needs rehab. There's $50,000 there. There's no way a rehab of $50,000 would be needed here when clearly it does. And that's not a reasonable approach to selling a property. If it's beat up, you have to make sure that you've got it priced appropriately. You always have to make sure it's priced appropriately. But a lot of people during this market have really put themselves through the ringer by trying to say that people will buy anything. But 
that's not ever true. You are not going to be able to sell this piece of junk for $50,000, $60,000 more than it needs to be sold for just because it's this COVID high market, which we're finally, hopefully, transitioning out of after these crazy two and a half years of absolute real estate insanity that nobody saw coming. I mean, talk about unexpected things in the stock market, but could you imagine if you had decided to grab some stocks right after the COVID crash and then you saw them go up significantly? Some people did. Kudos to them. But for most people, realistically, you expected the market to stay down for a long period of time. We didn't expect the real estate market to be an extreme high market for the two and a half years in the COVID world. People ended up wanting to move all over the place during in this world. Maybe it was because after being locked up, we just realized that, hey, I don't have all the time in the world here. I need to go out and get the house that I want, and I need to do it now. I need to move to the place I've wanted to live for that we've been talking about for the past few years now. I mean, I, I really wish somebody, a, a psychologist, someone could just explain that as to why this market has been this way for the past two and a half years, because that's that's my best guess. I'm no psychologist, but that's just the general attitude I've gotten from talking to realtors during this market. It just seemed like I mean, just in general, across all industries, that people just wanted to get into everything now. So, folks, final reminder for the Caribbean Fest on October 1st. That is going to start at 9 a.m. If you want to sign up, www.totalwealthacademy.com forward slash expo, and I will have plenty of beer for you there. Sign up ASAP. We already have almost 300 people. We want to get 500. We'll see you all there. Thank you. You've been listening to the Total Wealth Academy radio show. Please remember that this show is for entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investing advice. Always get a professional opinion before making any investment decisions. To find out more about coaching and consulting at Total Wealth Academy, visit TotalWealthAcademy.com and attend one of our free sample classes on real estate investing. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.